On this episode of Nesson's Patriots Podcast, we break down the Patriots' 24-17 loss to the Dolphins and discuss where this team is going after starting 0-2. We also dish out blame pie for who's most at fault for the current state of the Patriots and give realistic and unrealistic trades that could fix the Patriots. Finally, we talk about Bill Belichick's job status and whether he could be on the hot seat if the Patriots lose their next two games. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Nesson Patriots podcast. I'm Dakota Randall alongside Zach Cox. Uh, Zach, obviously, Patriots 0-2. Uh, a lot of us sort of talked ourselves into thinking maybe they could start better than this, either 1-1. One one. I kind of thought 2-0 was on the table, uh, but we're right back to where we were the last couple of years. Patriots 0-2 maybe staring at one and three in the face for the third consecutive season. Uh, you know, that game against the Dolphins, it was tough. It, it looked like they had a shot at the end, but the reality is they were playing catch up the entire night. They lost 24 to 17. Uh, there's a lot of ways to skin that cat. I think that's how you use that phrase, but uh, just coming out of that game, you know, now a couple days later, what is your overarching thought on what you watched the other night? Well, quickly to start, basically these two, these first two games were essentially the same game. It was the yeah. Patriots playing playing against a team that is widely considered a potential Super Bowl contender. Obviously, the Eagles were in the Super Bowl last year. The Dolphins are one of the best teams in the AFC, maybe the best team in the AFC right now. Yeah, I don't think anybody would be surprised if that's a su- your Super Bowl matchup in February. Yeah, so. so on one hand, the Patriots losing one-score games to both of those teams shouldn't be a disaster scenario. I know they came in weeks one and two, and no team wants to be – 0-2, and uh, Patriots 0-2 for the first time since 2001, but... I think it's 0-2 uh, losing their first two games at home for the first time since 1975. I think that's the stat. I could be wrong, but I saw I, that one, which is ridiculous. I, I believe there's only one team, uh, correct? I, I may be wrong on that as well, but there's only one team in the last like 30 years that's made the playoffs after starting 0-2 at home. So it's not where you want to be from yeah. a record perspective, but if you said before the season, hey, they're going to lose to the Miami and they're going to lose to the Eagles in two one-score games, you would probably say, yeah, okay, that's kind of expected. That's not a huge surprise. But it's just the fashion in which they lost these games. These were winnable games, both of them, for the Patriots. These are games that you could easily say the Patriots should have won. uh, But they stuck themselves into these early deficits. Uh, They were trailing 16-0 basically right off the bat to the Eagles in Week 1. They were trailing 17-3 to the Dolphins at halftime. And it's it's the same story that we've been saying for, it seems like, years now. It's what we talked about on the podcast last week. This is not a team that is built to overcome deficits like that and, and built to kind of win anything resembling a shootout. And these games didn't even really turn into shootouts. They were no. both pretty uh, reasonably uh, reasonably reasonable level of scoring uh, in both of these games. Uh, but it's the early mistakes that just sank them in both of these. And if we're talking about a, a top takeaway going forward, Obviously, the Patriots need to stop these slow starts. They need to limit these t- these turnovers, but they can't do. They're not going to be able to do anything unless they fix what's going on in their offensive line. Uh, I thought that group played better than expected against the Eagles. Uh, 
but then got two starters back and actually played worse uh, against a less talented Dolphins defense. It's really limiting what they can do on offense, uh, and they're going to need to be able to score more than they've been scoring. I mean, the defense held two pretty good offenses. Uh, it's 25 points and 24 points. Patriots need to be able to win those games, and they're not going to be able to do it unless they fix what's going on up front. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, I think, well, I think we'll really get some sort of answer this weekend on the offensive line because I do think, I presume uh, that that Trent Brown will be back. You never know with concussions. You, you, know, you never but, know with yeah. concussions, but you know, let's let's say he comes back this week, and then you have you know you have your two guards back. You have David Andrews. Uh, I, I feel like it makes sense to put Vidarian Low on the right side. I thought he was pretty good in that game. I feel like you know I don't know how much longer they can roll with this Calvin Anderson thing. It's been a problem. It, it, it's been a problem. Um, so I'm with you. I, I, I'm very close to pressing the panic button on the offensive line, but. You know, we said before the season that once they get healthy, I think they can actually become a one of, if not the best offensive lines in the conference. I still think that's in play. We'll see what happens this weekend. Um, but I agree with you. I mean, the problem is it's the same story once again. They're, they're kind of becoming the, the close but no cigar Patriots. It doesn't really roll off the tongue for a nickname. Maybe I got to find a good cigar brand. Um, but for me, you know, I think, you know, what's interesting is it, 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 it's kind of a, a, a blurred line on why week one was a moral victory even though i think both of us we don't like that term didn't want to use it but it was a moral victory in a way for the patriots in week one uh, why it was an it, encouraging loss at the very it was least, an encouraging yeah. loss this one i feel like the reaction is completely different even though again one score game against a high-flying offense a superior opponent so why does this one feel so much worse is it just because it happened again i think that's part of it yep. uh, but for me the reason is i just think the defense looked a lot worse for me it was a regression to you know, what we've seen the last couple of years where the Patriots call the defense as if they're scared, and I get it. I would be afraid of the Dolphins' offense too, but I just think the Patriot, this Patriots' defense, uh, they've invested more in it between, you know, free agents, draft capital. Uh, I think they have the, the talent and the assets now, even though they were down three corners. Uh, I still think they have the players now where they don't have to play that way, that they could play more aggressive and go out there trying to make plays instead of playing scared. I mean, they came out with that three-deep three, three deep safety look. Uh, I just think... You know, they, they, they sort of had that de facto prevent defense all game where they got they, they put everybody back and they didn't want to give up any big plays. And I just don't think you can play that way anymore. I mean, that worked in the mid-Tom Brady years where, you know, on the, on the one hand, you didn't, you know, they didn't really have the personnel on defense some of those years to, to play an aggressive brand of defense. But it also didn't matter because if they gave up 28 points, it, it didn't matter because Tom Brady was probably going to put up 40. Um, and they also could rely on the other team where, you know, maybe they did drive the field, but there was such incompetence with some of these divisional teams and other AFC teams that they'd usually crap themselves near the goal line. But two, a few things. You don't have Tom Brady more, and the other teams don't stink. So I think you have to play with more confidence uh, and, and more aggressiveness on defense. And I just thought this game was a big regression uh, back to the style of defense that I don't think is going to get them anywhere. Uh, I think they have to believe in the personnel they have and go out there and try and make a play and not play scared. I understand that to an extent. I'll push back a little bit. You're going into this game against one of the best offenses, at least one of the best passing games in the NFL, one of the most explosive passing games in the NFL when everything's clicking for Miami. You don't have Jonathan Jones. You don't have Jack Jones. And then you lose Marcus Jones a quarter and a half, quarter and a half into the game. You're playing most of this game with Miles Bryant as one of your outside cornerbacks. Sean Wade's playing more than he ever has in his career. I think if this was a game to say, all right, we got to play a little bit more cautious. We don't want to put Miles Bryant on an island against Jalen Waddell, which they did once or twice, and it didn't really turn out too well for them. Uh, I think just from a personnel perspective, 
it made sense to take a, all right, let's limit big plays, let's try to keep everything in front of us. What I don't think they did well was defend some of the, the quick game stuff and, and those little motion a guy out, Tua immediately throws a, a wide open slant for 22 yards. They didn't, do, they didn't execute well enough on some of those. But I think if, if you come into a game, you say, all right, this team's down basically three of its top four cornerbacks. You're playing against a full-strength Miami Dolphins offense, and you only allow 24 points. I think that's, that's a reasonably good result. 30, uh, they missed two field goals. They missed two field goals, obviously, yeah. And, and you don't want to allow the, the big play touchdown to Raheem Mostert. Uh, and Tua were, had another touchdown on one of those drives when he tripped over his own feet and fell down. But I, I mean, points are points. You uh, can't, overall, you can play that saying. game. You can play that game every week. I get it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's not – they didn't come out in this game and get shelled and give up 45 points, which I think they could have based on the kind of – some of the personnel mismatches they had. Uh, it's really helping them that Christian Gonzalez is playing as well as he is because if yes. he wasn't – I think that this is easily a game where they just could have gotten blown off the field by by this Dolphins offense. But yeah. uh, I don't know. I It definitely was a, a less encouraging defensive performance, I guess, the, than what you saw in week one. But if there's a time to sort of step back a little bit and say, all right, we're not going to sort of sell out to, to just kind of zero blitz Tua on every play uh, and, and, and be a little bit more cautious – I think this was a game to do it just based on where the personnel was. Yeah, uh, a few other quick points before we move on. You know, I do agree with you that part of me always wants to to give the defense a little bit of a break because, you know, uh, you hear a lot of coverage, and, and I do it too, where you, we kind of say this Patriots defense, like at the end of the day, they're not able to get off the field or make big plays against some of the better NFL offenses. Um, but the reality is who is. Yeah. Like maybe like the Cowboys, maybe the Jets – uh, not maybe those two, those two defenses, yes, but outside of that, like there really aren't any big, you know, a lot of defenses in the NFL that are going out there and shutting down the Dolphins or shutting down the Bills with any sort of consistency. So it's hard for me to like totally crap on the Patriots it, because at the end of the day, like they are giving up yeah. 24, you know, mid 20s to some of the better offenses. And That's from not a, terrible. Yeah, and from a big like clutch play perspective, you had a forced fumble in the first in the fourth quarter in Week One. You had the Gonzalez interception in the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter. In this game, uh, obviously there were some breakdowns. I mentioned the the long Raheem Mostert touchdown, but bees. Oh, we got bees here. Yeah, bees. But this wasn't. Uh, I don't think a, situ- uh, a situation of the Patriots defense just buckled and folded in the second half, and and that really no. contributed to their uh, their losses. I think these have been. If you hold, what did they hold Miami or uh, Philly to in week one? It was like 18 points for the defense because one of the touchdowns was a pick six. Yes. And then 24 points uh, in the second game, obviously, as you mentioned. You had the block field goal. You had the missed field goal. Uh, but those were on the longer side set up by, by some good defense. I don't know. I think the defense is putting the offense still in positive positions, and the offense just is not capitalizing yet. You look at it. I think they've started yeah. seven drives, the Patriots offense has, outside of their own 40-yard line through these two games, and they've scored one total touchdown on those drives. That's that's just not good enough. Right. At the end of the day, giving up 24 points to the Dolphins should be good enough. It was good enough during the Tom Brady years. Now it's not. That's the reality of it. The question is how much of that is Mac Jones, how much is it of everything else. The only other two points I'll make on the defense, the other big concern for me, we'll get to this later, I thought – uh, the, the defensive line for the Patriots really got pushed around this game, which is not what I was expecting. Uh, it was not good. And then one other point to push back on them not having the three cornerbacks. You know, obviously, if the Patriots had all three Jones corners in this game, they, they would have been better off. There's no doubt about it. But I do think part of it was it didn't really matter who was out there because Tua was getting rid of the ball 
in like two seconds or less on almost every play. Fastest time to throw in the league. And, in the, and the Patriots too, yeah. weren't going to play in man even if they did have those players. So it tells me that Mike McDaniel just had full confidence in his scheme against what the Patriots were going to do. And regardless of who was in there, they were going to do these quick passes and march down the field when they really wanted to, and that's what they did. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I gained more respect for, for Mike McDaniel as a, an NFL head coach in this game. Uh, obviously, he took his team to the playoffs last year, sure, certainly showed a lot of good things. But the way he was able to – beat Bill Belichick and Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo from a, a scheme and design standpoint on so many of these plays in this game. It was He was just a step or two ahead yep. of the Patriots' defense for most of this game, even though it didn't translate into a 45-point uh, outburst or anything like that. But some of the things he was able to do with those Canadian football motions and yeah. just creating wide-open receivers right off the bat for Tua, it was uh, it was. I don't want to say go master class level, but it was very impressive. Yeah, and it was the first time we've really seen that from him against the Patriots because they won that game last year, but it was low scoring, like 2017 or something. It was basically like one broken play by Jalen Waddell. Yeah. yeah, that was it. And then uh, the second game last year, Skylar Thompson played. So this is the first time I think we've really seen the Mike McDaniel thing uh, in a full effect against the Patriots. But to your point, the reality is I think Mike McDaniel outcoached Bill Belichick in this game and Vic Fangio out coach Bill O'Brien. And that's a tough pill to swallow, I think, if yeah. you're a Patriots fan. Uh, moving on, I think one of the biggest stories uh, coming out of this game was the benching of Pop Douglas. It was a benching of Demario, Pop Douglas, whatever you want to call him. Uh, what he had, two catches for 19 yards in the first quarter, and then on the second catch, uh, you know, had a nice catch and run for a first down that would have put the Patriots in great field position. Got chased down by uh, Bradley Chubb, fumbled the ball, uh, and then didn't see an offensive snap the rest of the game. Did play on punt returns because Marcus Jones was out. Uh, I wrote about this yesterday why I thought it was uh, just a bad, dated decision on, on a lot of levels by Bill Belichick. But, Zach, you know, did you think it was the right call? Are you sort of, do you look at it as this is what he's done, it's worked in the past, or do you think this was not the right time to do that? I think it was not the right time to do it. It didn't surprise me. Uh, I think all, all of us in the press box, we saw – Demario Douglas fumbled that ball, and you say, all right, well, we're not seeing him the rest of the night. Uh, it is what Bill Belichick has always really done, going back to the, the Stephen Ridley days, and even with Ramondre Stevenson a couple of years ago, he fumbled in week one, and we basically didn't see him at all until like mid-November. Um, so it wasn't a surprise, but I don't think it was a proper use of the Patriots' resources, because even on those two catches, Demario Douglas showed just a level of juice and explosiveness that nobody else in this Patriots offense can really match. And I think that's a bigger issue with the Patriots offense as a whole. I think the fact that the one of the biggest storylines coming out of this game was, why didn't they play the sixth-round rookie receiver more? Uh, I think that speaks more to the fact that yes. you're not getting that explosiveness from players like Juju Smith-Schuster and even Kendrick Bourne, who was less effective in this game than he was in week one, uh, Devontae Parker had a pretty good game outside of the, uh, the the interception, but even he's not somebody that was kind of breaking these big plays. It was more of a, a possession receiver type deal. So I think that's a bigger issue for the Patriots roster as a whole. But that notwithstanding, Pop Douglas is somebody that clearly would have could have helped them yes. in this game. Uh, he's somebody that can get open, that can make plays with the ball in his hand. We've seen it all summer. Uh, we saw it a little bit in week one. We definitely saw it in the first quarter of this game, uh, and it does speak to, uh, I think, some antiquated thinking from Bill Belichick. I'm curious to see how this manifests going forward, because as, as I just mentioned, when this happened with Stevenson a couple years ago, he was basically exiled for a month or two. Uh, four, is, out of, four out of five games he was inactive. Yeah, and it is worth noting that his training camp wasn't nearly as impressive 
that year as fumbled in one of those games. Yeah, yeah. as Douglas's was this year, and I think just overall the from hearing from Mac Jones, hearing from Bill O'Brien uh, the other day where he said we have a ton of confidence in Pop Douglas. We like when he's on the field. And even hearing from Douglas himself, I mean, I know a lot of people outside the media don't really care, but I was impressed with his accountability after the game. Like, we've seen a lot of players in the past make a mistake like this and then just book it out of the locker room or say, like, basically have the PR team, like, need to pull him in to take two or three questions and then and then leave. Douglas was standing at his locker for 45 minutes after this game. He answered questions from two full rounds of reporters, a couple one-on-one sessions in there. He basically said, yeah, like, I made a mistake. I was looking for the end zone. I didn't realize that Bradley Chubb was coming after me. It's a lesson I needed to learn. I wish it didn't happen now, but I learned it. And I'm going to be better. And just the kind of maturity and accountability that he personally showed, it makes me think that this isn't going to be a situation where he's just kind of persona non grata for four or five weeks until he re-earns the trust. Um, at least from a Patriots perspective, you have to hope that that's the case. But I think that this is not a, a situation where you're going to not see Pop Douglas again until week eight. No, no, no. I don't think so either. Um, I'll, my, I'll give you my thought on that in a second. But, I, you know, one other thing I was listening to the radio yesterday, everybody's favorite show, Felger and Mass. Uh, and, and Greg Bedard from Boston Sports Journal was on there. And he said he talked to a Dolphins player after the game about this. He didn't name the player, but said that that Dolphins player said Demario Douglas is their best player on offense. Uh, which, to your point, is also an indictment of the personnel on the, uh, on the offense, but also just reflective of what were they thinking. I mean, yeah. You, know, you, you, t- you take away the one guy who would actually look at home on the offense that is kicking your ass, yeah. right, uh, with the speed and playmaking ability that DeMario Douglas has. Is, is he perfect right now? No. He, you know, he's had some route running issues, or at least in the first game he did. Obviously the fumble. He's small. He's rookie. All these kind of things. Um, but you take that out of your arsenal for the game, and instead you run this 12 personnel for a bunch of the game, two tight ends, while you're trying to come back against the Dolphins, what I, uh, there was like a three tight end look earlier in the game too. Yeah, basically they had almost their first, their full first drive with the three, three tight end. Just not enough speed on the field, and I just thought it was. And, and for what purpose to send the six round rookie out of Liberty a message like as if he doesn't already know no. not to fumble? Like he gets it, and I don't think there are different versions of fumbling. Maybe Bill Belichick would disagree, but like I don't think this was being too sloppy or careless. I think this was a guy trying to make a play. The guy on the other team made a better one. Um, I, I think it was certainly being careless. He, was, he, was, he basically he was admitted it. that he was being careless. He yeah. was running, and he had the ball way too far out, didn't think a guy could chase him down from behind. I just, so point, it was careless, but I, I agree with you. It was careless, but it's the kind of careless that, like, it happens. Yeah. Like, it, it, it just happens. You can't bury the guy. Um, but here's why I think I know that the Patriots uh, think they did the wrong thing in that game, and that's because yesterday when we were speaking to the assistants, I asked Bill O'Brien about it, but I didn't even ask him really about the benching. I just asked kind of the point that you just made where, you know, Ramondre Stevenson, when he came back from being an active three straight games his rookie year after that first game fumble, he admitted for a couple of games he was holding on to the ball too tight and that he wasn't running. Things, yeah. He wasn't running with the same confidence. So you know, I was just kind of asking how do you make sure DeMario Douglas doesn't kind of have the same issue that he comes back and plays freely. And Bill O'Brien didn't even answer that. He went straight into giving us the spin that – Demario Douglas just wasn't part of the packages that they wanted to run, and, and uh, the, you know the, the 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 plays and the and the schemes and stuff that they thought were going to give them the best chance to win, which is a total load of crap. Obviously, that, that's Matt Patricia saying after Super Bowl Fifty Two that Malcolm Butler wasn't part of the packages that they yes. wanted to run. It's Bill O'Brien either on his own or from the request of his head coach covering for his head coach, which to me tells me that they either know they were wrong or know that they're getting heat from it externally, maybe internally. Um, 
you know, like that, that, was, that was just my interpretation of that. I'm like, they know that this was the wrong move or else he wouldn't have come out and said that like that. Uh, so I think it was a terrible move. Um, and the one other point I'll make about it is, you know, the more I watch the Patriots and the way they're using the receivers and what the receivers are giving, you know, I think they, they have to know how limited they are. Uh, they understand the reality of it. You know, they're, they're so not they're, – they're willing to bench their most promising rookie because of a, of a fumble. Uh, they're, they don't have enough confidence in Kendrick Bourne to give him, what, more than 30%, 40% of the snaps, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, he's out, he's out there running wrong routes. He's, he, I think he had a bad drop in this game. I don't know if it counted as a drop, but that deep pass from Mac Jones I thought – was a great oh, the play. one, yeah. He, he kind of like only put one hand out when he could. I thought it was a pass breakup at first, and then you're like, oh, wow. no, he, he he didn't make the, the right play on the and ball. And we saw that a in the first. A lot of deep misses to Bourne in this game. Yeah, and we saw that in the first game on the third and 12. They're not so sold on Keishon Booty that they're not making him uh, a, a healthy scratch. Devontae Parker, we know the issues that we've been over there, and then obviously we've talked about Juju Smith-Schuster where they're not playing him either, and he doesn't look like he has a lot of juice, which I don't Not much has changed really, over the last month and a half. Like, I think all those things they had to have known ahead of time, which brings me back to why didn't they just go out in the offseason, whether it be De DeAndre Hopkins or somebody else, yeah. and get the weapon that they needed because you're seeing it now, a lot of predictable things coming to fruition. Uh, and I think they have to understand it too, and I just think you could have alleviated a lot of this by going out and doing what we all said, which was getting Mac Jones a top weapon. I agree. No <laughs> notes. Agreed. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, it, it's, it's frustrating, but again, and the problem is to – it's unlikely to look any better this weekend going up against one of the best defenses. Um, we'll get to the Jets in a little bit. Uh, all right, I want to get to a little exercise. We're going to call it the blame pie. Uh, we're removing Bill Belichick from the equation uh, because he is the master baker in this in this exercise. He he is responsible for all of it because it's his team. But we can't we can't name him. So uh, it's going to be big slices. Uh, I don't know if that's New York style, Sicilian style, whatever. Whatever pie is only for. Uh, but we're each going to get two slices uh, for the players, the positions, whoever that we think are most to blame for the current state of the Patriots uh, in totality, not just for them losing the other night, but the fact that once again we're looking at an 0-2 team. Uh, Zach, why don't you just give me both uh, right off the, you know, both at the same time. Cool. Well, I, I mentioned the offensive line off the top. I know you're going to touch on that in a second, so I'll leave the, the details of that to you. But the one of the guys that we just mentioned, Judy Smith-Schuster, the fact that he – we all thought that the Patriots signed him this offseason to be an upgrade over Jacoby Myers because it certainly seemed like that was the intention when they brought him in, both with the timing, the fact that they literally chose to sign him over re-signing Jacoby Myers. Uh, they gave him uh, the money that they could have given to Jacoby Myers, who obviously was their number one receiver over the last three seasons, had his limitations, was not a quote-unquote true number one, whatever you want to say. Uh, whatever you want to call that, but he was a very good player for their offense last couple of years. Juju Smith-Schuster has come in and not only not been the Patriots' number one receiver, he's probably their number three receiver well, when that at this point. Well, that report from Andrew Callahan that the Patriots yes. don't even think he's one of their top five pass catchers, which I think includes Ramondre Stevenson tight ends, but regardless. Still, major problem. This is yeah. a guy that uh, if you signed him and he was exactly what Juju, what Jacoby Myers was. Jacoby Myers plus. Yeah. Even, well, but I'm saying if you signed him and he was exactly what Jacoby Myers was, oh, yeah, yeah. you would still view that as like a mild disappointment. You're like, all right, well, you signed this guy to be an upgrade, and he's basically kind of the same thing. He's he's reliable. He, he's going to uh, give you some good catches on third down, but he's still not bringing that juice. He's not bringing that juice, and he's not even – I mean, it's clear Devontae Parker is the quote-unquote number one receiver on this team because he played 100% of snaps – 
the other night. Which um, I couldn't believe that he came back from missing the, the other game and playing 100% in the snaps. That yeah. was, I was kind of stunned by that. Yeah, it, it was uh, certainly was not limited in any way coming back. Um, but they gave him 100% of snaps, and then they essentially just split the other ones between Bourne and Smith-Schuster. Obviously, Demario Douglas played a little bit, but then was benched. Who knows how that all would have yep. shaken out and then the two tight ends. afterwards. And then the two tight ends saw the field together a lot in this game. But just I haven't been impressed with what I've seen so far from Juju Smith-Schuster. There's really no explosiveness. There's no – you don't look at him and, and – see anything that he kind of like really does well he's had some good catches he's had some good plays he had the third down conversion in week one he had a couple of uh good kind of like contested sideline catches in this last game but uh, I think he only has something like 50 total receiving yards through these two games he clearly has not been anywhere close to the number one that the Patriots need uh and I think that's been a big issue because I mean it goes to the point that we were just saying they're lacking kind of high-end explosive playmaking ability, uh, and the big-time signing for this group just hasn't even come close to providing that so far. Yeah, no, I agree. And I would say, to to your original point, it, if you just got Jacoby Myers out of Juju Smith-Schuster, yeah. let alone like the plus version that we thought we were going to get, if you were just getting Jacoby Myers, they probably beat the Eagles. Yeah, they might even be two and zero. And so I think I think he's absolutely deserves to be. A piece in the blame. Yeah. And Myers was a guy who was basically playing every snap for the Patriots during the years that he was here. Uh, and then for Juju to basically play like right around 50% in both of those games. It's yeah, and I just think it's also, and I know you're going to talk yeah. touch on Mac. You know, right now I think the, the, the receiver he trusts most is Hunter Henry. Yeah. Like one guy he knows is going to be in the right spot that he can trust on is Hunter Henry. I don't know if he has a receiver like that right now because, again, I don't think there's a lot of trust in Kendrick Bourne. And I think he really misses having someone like Jacoby Myers where – Regardless of his skill set, I think Mac Jones knew he was going to be in the right spot, would probably catch the ball, and that's huge for quarterback, and I don't think he has it right now. Yeah, Henry has been awesome, by the way. He's been one of the most productive tight ends in the NFL through these two weeks. But uh, I do need to give a portion of the blame pie to Mac Jones. I don't think it's a large portion. If we're kind of sizing out these slices, this would be like the the slim one that you sometimes get in those Papaginos pizzas that comes in like 12 (laughs) different slices. I think he's been pretty good. I like those slices. First of all, well, they make you feel better, buddy. Like, ah, you know, I had an extra slice, but it was only the small one. They make you feel better in in the short term, but later (laughs) on, uh, a lot of time in the lavatory at Gillespie. We haven't actually gotten any Pubginos yet this year, which is probably uh, a good thing for all of us. But (laughs) Mac Jones, I think he's been pretty good through these two games. I actually was pretty impressed with the way he played in a lot of different facets uh, against Miami. I thought he was much better under pressure than he was the week before and was last season. Uh, And he made some really good throws on the move, too. But He had the mistakes early in week one. His ball placement wasn't great. He obviously had the pick six, and then he tried to force the ball to Devontae Parker on that interception he had in this last game. He's – I find it – I find it hard to get on him too much for not being, like, perfect, not being a top-five caliber quarterback because I just don't think that's what he is. But he has had the ball in his hands with the chance to win the game or tie the game in both of these games. He's had multiple opportunities – and has not gotten that done. And that's really kind of been the story for him throughout his career. It's what we talked about last week. You've seen very few fourth quarter comebacks. You've seen very few upset wins for this Patriots team. Uh, and you haven't seen him at all beat another team that scored more than 25 points. Uh, I think he's had a lot of opportunities to have that kind of signature game-winning drive. And it just hasn't come yet this season. Again, I think more of the blame is on the offensive line and his receivers. But you're the quarterback. It's it's your kind of duty at the end of the end of the day. Uh, 
and I still want to see a little bit more from him. Well, yeah, and to your point, uh, I think Mac Jones has three wins, uh, in-season wins against teams that went on to make the playoffs. Uh, I believe one of those is the Bills game with the uh, the three passes and the wind. Yep. Uh, the other is against the Dolphins last year when they had Skylar Thompson. And then the other one is against the Tennessee Titans when they had, like, all of their players missing. Yep. So, to your point. They had, like, a fourth-string running back in that yeah, game. Yeah, we are. Yeah, and, they, and he, he went off with, like, 100-something yards. yards yeah. uh, Deontay Foreman and yeah. somebody else. Uh, so, we are still looking for Mac Jones' signature win. Uh, and I don't think it's going to come this weekend because it's against Zach Wilson, right? Yep. Maybe in Dallas. Um no, I agree. And the other point I'll make is, you know, I think some of us think that, may, you know, what's Mac Jones ceiling, top 10-ish quarterback, like more reliable version of Kirk Cousins maybe. If you have Kirk Cousins these two games, again, you might, you might be 2-0, and I don't really think much of Kirk Cousins. But to your point, like if Mac Jones would just elevate his play a little bit, yeah. I think it would make a huge difference. And right now it's, it hasn't happened with all the caveats, you know, that we've talked about. Yeah. Uh, for me, I'll go through mine really quick because I know we're pressed for time. Uh, O-line. We've talked about it at all, uh, talked about it a lot. You know, I, I do think it's going to eventually get better, but right now it is the big Achilles heel of the team. When you're a quarterback uh, and you don't trust the blocking and you don't trust that the receivers are going to be in the right spot or make plays, hard to succeed, uh, and I think it kind of starts there. Uh, and the second one for me, uh, sneaky interior defensive line. I think they were fine against the Eagles, uh, but I think this was a big regression. Um, they're playing with – they had, like, D Daniel Aquale at nose tackle sometime in this yeah. game, which was bizarre. Um, they, they've done that before. They've put Devon Godchow outside. Uh, I just think, listen, Bill Belichick last year said Devon Godchow is one of the best defensive tackles in the game. Uh, it's not true. He's not bad, but it's not true. Um, and, I, you know, I think I, a lot of times we've seen the, the Patriots, uh, these issues where they're not able to stop the run crop back up and then everything falls apart from there. I don't think we've really seen that leap that we were expecting from Christian Barmore just yet. It's early. Um, I just think they're limited on the defensive line. You know, they got moved around a lot in this game, which I think was really disappointing. And, you know, we talked about this before the season. There's not a lot of depth uh, after they uh, released Carl Davis. So I think that's a sneaky concern for me as interior D-line. Yeah, I think we'd feel a little bit differently if they didn't have the, the Raheem Mostert touchdown in this game in the fourth quarter. But obviously that's... But they did. <laughs> but they did, yeah. But they did, and he was getting chunks every time he got the ball. Yeah, yeah. They they had a lot of success on some of those outside zone type runs, but that Mostert one was just basically right up the middle. You saw a lot of guys get walled off and moved out of the way. Uh, yeah. So that was that's definitely something that they need to clean up. Um, and then just going back one more time to, to the offensive line, it's if you look at what they had in this game, four of their five starters either did not practice at all with the team this summer or barely practiced with the team this summer. So Vidarian Lowe. Got there just before cutdown day. Calvin Anderson, Michael Wenu both didn't practice at all in training camp. Cole Strange got hurt right at the beginning of training camp, didn't come back until afterwards. So it's basically only David Andrews and a bunch of kind of movable pieces around him. Wenu still wasn't back to 100%. Uh, he, came, he came out late in the game. Uh, Calvin Anderson at right tackle has been pretty rough through two games. As expected, and, but, and, but yeah, rough. As yeah. expected, and, and, and Vidarian Lowe, as you mentioned, wasn't terrible in this first game, but he's the one who led up the sack on that final drive, sets the Patriots up in like third and 18 or something like that. Yeah. And it's difficult to climb out of that hole. Yeah. So, again. Got to get together, got to get reps, got to get healthy. I do think they can yeah. be okay, but they need to stop this revolving door. Yeah, yeah. It's Like we said the other day, it's constantly a fire drill on the offensive line, and that's a big issue. Yeah. Um, all right, moving on. Uh, another exercise. I'm going to do <laughs> trades that we could make right now that would fix the Patriots. Uh, we're just going to get to one completely ridiculous but you can squint and see it. Uh, and the other, 
more realistic, uh, but both filling needs for the Patriots. Uh, We're pressed on time here, so I'm just going to let you cook. Okay. All right. What, what, what time do we got to get out of here? What time? Oh, yeah. I guess you're right. We are. We, we got to talk time. to Mr. Mac Jones in seven minutes. I'm sure he'll have a lot to say. <laughs> uh, all right. I'll round, we'll, we'll just go through them without explanation. Yeah. Uh, mine, number one. Justin Jefferson, who knows if he's going to re-sign with the uh, Minnesota Vikings. Maybe he's one of these guys that eventually wants out. You know, Kyle Duggar, who's a free agent after this year. I think he's still a disappointing player. Him, Kendrick Bourne, two first-round picks. Get Justin Jefferson, given the, the richest contract for a receiver in NFL history. Just do it. You're just going it. going off the, uh, the FanDuel <laughs> Twitter account now. That's where I, I am plagiarizing. That's where I saw it. That wasn't their exact trade, but that's where I got the yeah, idea. I think there was like three first-round picks. Uh, and the like slightly that. more yeah. – yeah, that's a lot. The slightly more realistic one, again, I'm going to use Kyle Duggar and or Kendrick Bourne and go get Mike Evans. I'm not the biggest Mike Evans fan, but like 1,000 yards in each year of his career. Um, I know the Bucks have been a surprise so far, but – I don't know. I think they might want to. They're move playing on. some bad teams. They're yeah. playing some bad teams. You know, maybe maybe you give them an asset and a draft pick, and maybe you get someone like Mike Evans. Uh, do you want to give yours real real quick? Well, I, I think the two areas that you got to look at are wide receiver and offensive tackle, depending on whether they can figure something out uh, at right tackle. Uh, I'm looking at like veteran, longtime starters at that spot. I mean, well, we got some construction going on over here. We. <laughs> They obviously made the two trades before the season, but those were for basically developmental level type guys. Uh, I look at someone like, like Rob Havenstein. I mean, I'm just trying to find longtime starters like it, for bad teams. Um, I mean, it's it's a trade that they would make, and people say, well, why are you trading for this guy? It's like, hey, he's he started 70 games over however many years. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that's a move that they figure feel like they have to make at some point during this season. Uh, and then another sort of, I don't know where it falls in the realistic realm, but I think Hunter Renfro is eventually going to get traded by the Raiders. He only has one catch, I believe one target, through two, came, two games this year. You can say they probably don't really need another slot-type guy. You got Demario Douglas in there. You, you brought in Juju to fill that role. But he's someone everybody loved for the Patriots coming out of the draft. He obviously, they have the connection with Josh McDaniels out there in the Raiders. I don't know. Maybe if they uh, they view him as some something of a reclamation project, maybe they take a swing on that. I like that, too. Another quick Raiders idea that definitely is unrealistic. Kendrick Bourne and a third or second round pick for Devontae Adams. Kendrick Bourne succeeded under uh, Josh McDaniels. <laughs> get the Raiders out from underneath that contract. Get Mac Jones, Devontae Adams. I like it. I, don't I, know. I think including Kendrick Bourne in any sort of Raiders-related trades is a good idea because yes. Josh McDaniels really liked him and he did a lot of good things in that offense. Yes, yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, rapid fire, last segment. Uh, they're facing the Jets this weekend. Obviously, we know the deal there. No Aaron Rodgers, Zach Wilson. He's terrible. The defense isn't. The yeah. Patriots should win. They are, they are the better team currently with Zach Wilson in there. They should win, but both those games last year were total rock fights. Uh, I could see this one being the same way. If they lose this game, Zach, and are 0-3, and then let's just say for the sake of argument, they go to Dallas and fall to 0-4, which I think this is absolutely on the table, should Bill Belichick get fired? Not will he, because I don't think he will get fired in season, but should it be a real conversation if this team falls to 0-4? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, I, I do not think that that should be a conversation – Really, until the end of the season, if they start 0-4 and then they finish 5-12 or 6-11, then I think it will be a legitimate conversation. Uh, but I think that would be too reactionary. That's yeah, I, I would agree, and I would say, because I still don't think he's a negative. I think you could argue his general managing, his roster building is a negative. But you, you, you ax a coach in the middle of the season because they are actively hurting the operation. Yeah. The players aren't buying in. What his scheme, either on defense or on offense, is actively hurting the team. And I don't think that's what's happening here. I think this is still a talent issue for the Patriots. I think the odds of that happening are 
monumentally slim. Right, but it's going to be a conversation if it happens. I mean, Absolutely. it's going mean, to be, be a conversation stuff. if they lose this weekend. Uh, yeah, right. I agree. So, real quick, pick uh, Patriots or Jets this weekend? Uh, Patriots, get right game, kind of sloppy. I'm, I'm thinking something like 26 to 12. It's going to be one of those weird score games, a lot of defense, probably a defensive touchdown, but I like the Patriots. I'm going to go 17 6 Patriots, mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I generally agree with your premise. Um, but that will do it for us. Uh, still a lot going on this week. We've got practice today, practice tomorrow, practice yep. Friday, and then Patriots in the Meadowlands to face the Jets on Sunday afternoon. You can follow me on X at Dak Randall, and you can follow Zach uh, at Zach Cox Nesson, and you can follow all of our Patriots coverage on Nesson.com.